open in our Bibles to the book of James. Hopefully you had a chance to grab a bulletin and a half sheet paper of notes uh, there from the table. We'll just be following those as we, we go. should mention too, so nobody gets in a panic that we're not going to do a Christmas message. Uh, next, next week and the week after we'll be, we'll be doing a Christmas message. I've got to look at my notes and see where we left off last year. We'll just kind of pick up. There's a, uh, a series that we we're doing. Um, and that being said, uh, Chris and Edward, Edward and Michaela and the kids are traveling to Ontario this week. And uh, so we won't have junior church. We'll just make sure that the next couple Sunday mornings um, will look a little bit different. Um, it's a good word. We can do different. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we'll be, we'll be looking forward to that. All right, so James chapter 1. And it is a, a sensitive topic, as it generally, generally is. Uh, I know some people expressed some, some appreciation for the, the type of message uh, last week. and just kind of sparked some interest. So I'm going to maybe attempt a little bit to do the same uh, just as we step into this. I'm thinking through a little bit of, of history. Uh, we've heard of the, the man by the name of Martin Luther who uh, kind of headed up the, the Reformed, or the Reformation there in, in the 1500s. Uh, he had a hard time finding anything, I'm going to say, spiritual in the book of James. Uh, he, he went as far as to try and remove the book of James from the schools that taught the Bible. He just couldn't, couldn't find. He called it an epistle of straw. There was nothing in it. And... Uh, yeah, I kind of once you start laying down and you start reading and and processing, and then you you use some of the the scholars um, to help you out with that. There's a lot in the book of James, but the thing with with Martin Luther was was his eschatology was different, right? And he didn't he didn't in his eschatology following Augustine, and I won't go too far with this, didn't allow for what we would call the believer's judgment or the judgment seat of Christ didn't allow for consequences for people who chose to live spiritually dead. Because you can have a, a positional relationship with God, right? I mean, you, 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 Christmas story, you recognize that Jesus came, uh, was born as a man, right? Uh, deity, met man, flesh, fully God, fully man. He went to the cross, he died, he paid the price for sins. And, and when you place your faith in Christ, you become a child of God. That's, that's a, a forever thing. You can do that. But then at some point in your life, that light flickers. Right? That light flickers, that spiritual life flickers, disobedience, the world creeps in uh, like those soils. And all of a sudden you find yourself saved, but living in a dead faith. That's alarming, isn't it? I mean, it's alarming, but it happens. I know, I've been there. Right? Where you're just not spiritually alive. There's sin in your life, that fellowship is broken, and, and with Martin Luther, that idea of consequence, right, that idea of, of I'm not going to get away with living in disobedience wasn't part of his makeup. So that's kind of the, the taste I'm going to pray. And again, it is a sensitive, because I think even with the title that I presented, as James is writing to the apostle ambassadors and there's churches, um, dead faith is the topic. Takes us right down to 226. 
you spiritual sluggards are killing the church. Not just, again, me trying to spark that. That's what dead faith does. If you're living in disobedience and you're not found serving and you're not found spiritually alive and excited and ready to, to give testimony and step in, guess what? That church withers. Right? That church spiritually dies. I'm going to say the conclusion of it is Jesus is standing there knocking on the door saying, hey, can I come in and be part of this? And uh, that's what James is addressing. So, Dear Heavenly Father, we just think of the moments ahead where I pray that um, your word would speak the loudest. Lord, I pray as we read your verses and we will do some page turning as we see what you said in the red letters. Lord, that we understand that these are your commands. Um, they're not optional. Lord, they're not an age thing. Um, Every believer will answer, stand before you and answer for how they live by these words. And that is a serious thing. We also understand that we are in different seasons. We are in different stages of life. But Lord, a, an alive faith is a serving faith. And it has to look like something. There has to be fruit of something. And I pray that as we read through this, that um, you would stir and nudge and encourage and rebuke and do all the things that you do. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so just beginning in, in James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, therefore, all right? And whenever we get into that, whenever you see a therefore, what's it there for? All right, so we have to, and I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to. I just got it in bullet point form. I'm not... But you have to go back to the start of what James has already addressed in this topic, right? So the therefore is there because the believer is going through or going to go through trials, right? They are going to suffer persecution. There is going to be material loss as they're forced out of their homes, right? As they lose their businesses, as the pressures, and, and we won't go too far into this, as they're not allowed to do even for their livelihood, right? Because of their stand for Christ, um, what do these things do? Are they all negative? Right, as we're going through, as a believer is going through persecution and pressure and, and, and poverty? No. It causes the believer to seek God for wisdom, doesn't it? As you can't provide, as, as you don't know what to do, guess what? You're on your knees a lot more quickly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a natural conclusion. Well, it should be a natural conclusion. Right? It causes the believer to seek God for wisdom. And we see that coming through chapter 1. Um, what does the believer find? They find life in fellowship with Christ. Because right? part of that pressure and persecution and, and poverty, it purifies you. All of a sudden you're not in, in the chains of that monetary thing or the things of, of, of the world are, are no longer about it. You find yourself in, in a deeper spiritual fellowship with Christ. And that's an amazing thing. That is life with God now leading to then. That's eternal life, right? We'll use that equation. What do they find in pressures? They find God's provision. I mean, when you have everything that you could ever want, you're not on your knees asking make sense but when you don't have and you're asking God and all of a sudden he's providing not what you want but all of a sudden you find your needs met that is a special spiritual thing isn't it so in the midst of of all of this the, the, these church churches are growing through these things they also find an enduring faith 
Right? They find an enduring faith, one that's long-suffering, one that, that will, will withstand the tests of the world, will withstand the pressures. And that faith, and I'm just going to define it this way this morning, is believing God's promises with a resolve for obedience. Right? Believing God's promises. God has promised to sustain us, not with necessarily what we want, but with what we need, um, with a resolve to obedience. And those words are cho chosen carefully because do we sometimes slip up? Right? And that's where that resolve. I, I want to obey. I'm committing. But you know what? That's, that's where the repentance comes in. Right? You're coming back to Him. So it's a resolve to obey. You want to. You desire to. But there's also a flip side to that. If you're not living in obedience, are you going to receive the blessings and the provisions? You might receive provisions, but it's not going to be the fullness of what God desires. Right? And there's a consequence for when you're living in disobedience. So this therefore in James chapter 1 verse 21 covers all of that. It is quite the special plate, if you will, right, that James has placed here before, before the people. And I should also mention, just as we step into that next of context, we're not going to cover all this material this morning. So everybody just take a deep breath. Um, we'll, we'll split it up into chunks. But, but I can't preach because this 121 right down to 226 is one whole, right? And that's why we read it a couple weeks ago. So you can't, can't just preach a little signet and say, we'll come back. So we've got to get it in the flow here. So he's saying, therefore, who's he speaking to? This letter is written to believers, right? And he's writing to the leadership of the churches. That's where the apostle ambassadors who are, who are gifted to go out and plant these churches and the churches that they're leading, so James is addressing the AAs, or the Apostle Ambassadors, who are going back to Judaism. Okay, and Judaism, we read and we see it, is a dead faith. They had the Word of God, but they weren't obeying it. They had the Word of God, and they said, well, yeah, that's nice, but we think we need to, to add a little bit of this. This is what I think. Right? These are, these are the, the parts that, that I think there would, would better enhance or supplement what God has to say. And that is dangerous grounds to be on. And these Pharisees were living in dead faith. Um, they knew the word of God. I mean, oftentimes, and it baffles my mind, that, that the religious ones, by the age of like 13, they had the first five books memorized of the scriptures, the Pentateuch. By 13, can you imagine that? They had the word, but they didn't have the, the works. They didn't have the obedience. So it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now we've covered this, right? Soul, suche, the life of you. Right, this is talking about the physical life now because there is consequences for sin, but also when you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And there's a loss that goes on here because this is written to believers. Believers that are living in filthiness. Right, they are living in an overflow of wickedness. And that's where this dead faith comes in. So what, what does that look like? What does these, these guys going back to a dead faith, a religious 
um, complacency going back to Judaism look like? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, and we'll see what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 23. And the more you connect this, the more you appreciate how straightforward Jesus truly always was. Right? He called white, white, black, black. He called sin, sin. Uh, he didn't back down from his Pharisee rulers, which would be his provincial government. Right? I mean, he, he just said, look, he speaks for the Father and he shoots straight. Matthew 23, and again, we're trying to grasp this because we understand that the apostles and ambassadors that followed Jesus, what were they called out of? Judaism. They were called out of this. It would be like somebody being saved out of the Catholic Church, right? Not saying that all Catholics are not saved, but there is a lot of legalism, dead religious practices, is there not? Right? Where they just sit in the seat, they hear, and there's no, there's no spirit involvement and there's no doing. So then Jesus spoke, verse 1, to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, which is a judgment ruling seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, observe and do. Okay, Who are the what were the Pharisees teaching from? Word of God, it makes sense, right? As, as, as God's word is being presented, okay, you know, discern it. But that's what you're supposed to listen to. But do not do according to their works. All of a sudden, we're into this hypocrisy. These guys are teaching. These guys are pointing people to the word. But guess what? They're not doing. All right? And that word hypocrisy comes out. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. Without getting too deep into this, was their faith alive or was it dead? dead there was no obedience to it they had all the knowledge they could sit there and recite the first five books of the bible there off the top of their head there's no doing there was no changing there was no god leading their lives so it was a dead faith for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers that's not just being lazy <laughs> that's completely disobedience because god's word is commands it calls us to obey it calls us to engage it calls us to serve and step into that and the apostles and ambassadors and everyone following jesus at that time here's judaism this is what i was born into this is what i've been following since i was knee high to a grasshopper now jesus is calling us to do isn't that what Jesus says in John 15, 14? If you love me, you'll do my commandments? It's a, it's a live faith. It's a doing faith. So, I mean, these apostles were called out of a dead faith, and, and they're finding themselves drawn back into that. Turn with me to Luke, and we'll find uh, a couple more additions to that. As Luke records, Luke 11. I mean, again, just trying to bring out the real-life principles. Um, these apostles and ambassadors, I mean, they, 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 they grew up, you know, listening in the synagogues, probably at the door. You know, listening to Dad come home, speaking of these principles. Um, they knew what the synagogues were um, week after week. 
prayer service after prayer service. I mean, they'd attended these things, but it was a dead faith. Not removing the fact that there was probably a faithful remnant going through, but it was a dead faith for the most part. Uh, 11, verse 39. says, Now the Lord said to him, and this is a, a supper, he's eating, eating with the, a Pharisee. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup and dish clean. So they dress up well. Right? They polish up their testimony in the community. They have a position. They're recognized. Um, it would be much the same way um, us today sometimes throw it, oh, that person is a godly man. Well, according to what standard? Is he godly in that we know he's a Christian man, or is he, is he spiritually um, leading and, and teaching and discipling and leading his home? I mean, there's, there's a big difference here. But here we have Pharisees, you know, outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Right? And that's mammon. Right? That's the things of the world. Like I keep going back to that Mark chapter 4. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. Right? You can polish up all you want on the outside, but if something has bound your heart and Christ doesn't have that, guess what? It's dead. <laughs> You're not living in obedience. That There's no spiritual awakeness to this. Foolish ones, Jesus speaking, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Does God not know what's going on in your heart? Does God not know what has hold of your heart? But rather give alms. Right, this is providing for the needy. It's not just humanitarian. This is getting rid of what grabs a hold of your heart. Now, this is getting rid of what, what has you bound. Give alms of such things as you have. Then, indeed, all things are clean to you. If I don't have it, <laughs> I'm not attached to it. It's kind of like spring cleaning or purging, right? I just, just get it out of my sight. I, just, I, I, don't want to, I, don't, I don't need it in my life anymore. Oh, but, 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 but. Maybe I'm the only one that goes through that. I might use that someday. <laughs> and then you find it back in there. You know? it, it, it has a hold of their hearts. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. I mean, they, they can tell you to give. They can tell you to engage in mercy and compassion, but they'd pass by the beggar in the street. They'd pass by the, the, the widow that hasn't eaten for, for two days. They'd pass by the, the justice and compassion that, that a live faith would have. I mean, there would, be, there would be a moving where God says, provide for that individual that is before you. They pass by the justice and love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the other things undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They know, but they don't do. They know, but there's no moving of God to do. There's a dead faith. For you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Didn't spend too much time on that, but for me that picture as I was reading it is, is it's not just good enough for them to be in this dead faith. They're looking to suck the life out of those around them. 
They're like graves trying to pull you, you in. And, and spiritual deadness, guess what? It enjoys other spiritual deadness. Right? And it does attach itself. And then before long, you've got two spiritually dead people condoning each other. And then you have three. And then all of a sudden, it grows into a group. And that's what the Pharisees were. They were a spiritually dead group that contested Jesus through and through. So let's turn back to James chapter 1. And I think we've got that picture. Um, This is the dead religion that these apostles were saved out of. Following Jesus, I choose you, Jesus, my rabbi, my master, my teacher, my savior. You are the Christ, the son of the living gods. But some of these men... And again, I'm not talking about the inner 12, though they had their own temptations. But some of these men that had been sent out were being sucked back into that, sucked back into Catholicism, sucked back into that complacency. So he says there in 121, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, save the life of you. But be doers of, what's it say? The words, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, I almost got lost in this verse. Because the first, first pass through this, I wanted everyone to shut their eyes. And I wanted them to think about someone who is really a doer. Because we hold a lot. <laughs> we, we, we esteem, we, we exalt people for doing, don't we? I mean, we praise young men for their work ethics. I mean, like, look at that guy. He, he is such a good worker. He's a doer. He's a goer. I mean, that, that, that we set a lot of store by that. And I was going to have a shutter eyes, and I want you to think of someone. And I was going to ask you, because we set store by the older generation that still does. Right? That, oh man, he's still a trooper. He's still going at his career, his trade, his profession. Right? We said a lot of story. I have a lot of respect for that man. That he still does. For women. Right? Women that do. Women that are still... <laughs> that sounds really bad. I was going to say still going. Still, still doing, still serving. I'm thinking of the nursing homes. Um, I'm thinking of the Women's Institute. You know, like we said a lot, like look at, look at their involvement in the community. They're always doing, doing, doing. And, and I get it. Now I was going to read there, but, but be doers of the Word. When we think of doing, when we think of those individuals, is this open? Is this part of that doing equation? The red letters of the scriptures, is that leading them? And I think there has been somewhere along the lines a division there because we can work. Believe me, I'm a, I'm a rural farm boy. We can work. I can put my hand to the plow. Um, but if this isn't leading me, if the Spirit isn't leading me, and I can't say this, this is, this is what was fueling me. This is what, what is leading my life right now. If I can't do that, then am I not just doing Right? It becomes just a work. And, and, and that's a scary place to be. That's a, a wrong place to be. And, and, G, and James and, and Jesus and, and God deals that a little later on. So my point just being here, be doers of the word. And it's important to emphasize, what is this? 
This is the Word of God. So I get comments sometimes like, well, I don't really study. Right? I don't read. Right? I don't prefer. I don't really know the Word. Well, well, that's great. But how are you doing it? Like, like how, how, how are you doing the Word if you don't know it and if you're not pursuing it? And, and even worse, if you're not hungry for it, how are you doing this in obedience? And the answer is you're not. You're a doer but not a doer of the word. These apostles, um, ambassadors, and again, like we did that document and I presented that, that there's more than just 12 apostles. They spent time with Jesus. These red letters they heard with their own ears. They knew the word. They knew that this was commands. They knew that they weren't supposed to be hearers only, deceiving themselves. And that's when I was just making this notes up. What is the word? We see that it is the word of God, right? Not what I think, not not the emergent, not not you know we call that right. No, it's is the word of God that we follow in obedience, which means we know it, we seek it, and it leads our life. James chapter two verse twelve. It's a little bit more than just leading. Guess what? For believers, James two twelve. And once you read this, you're, you're, you're kind of under, under this judgment. So in, in a way, I'm sorry. Um, but it says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Believers will be judged according to how they follow the red letters of their Bible. Right? Jesus has spoken. They are commands. I will include the whole word of God to that. A believer will be judged by the law of liberty, the law of freedom, the red letters where Jesus is presenting how to be free and live for him. What does a deceived apostle ambassador look like? Someone who spent time with Jesus. Someone who experienced Jesus. Someone who, who perhaps was even there when the feeding of the 5,000 happened. Or the 4,000 happened, right? What, what does someone walking away, thinking that they're okay, deceiving themselves, not doing in obedience, what does that look like for an apostle ambassador? And for that, we turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. This is twofold, in case you're wondering what the application is, because... Um, I'm a messenger, but I'm not an apostle. I don't have those gifts. Um, don't have those powers. Uh, those were done. <laughs> I'm going to say they're probably around the same time that John, uh, John put down his pen as well. Um, but I am a messenger. Right? And my application and our application as a church comes in the following verses for here. So what does a, a deceived apostle ambassador look like? Hebrews 6 verse 4. He's addressing this there. It's a Hebrew-Jewish audience. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and having tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Okay, these are the, the men that spent time with Jesus. These are the men that, that, you know how the 12 were sent out and then the 70 were sent out? Right? And they cast out demons and they healed sickness and they preached the gospel of the kingdom. Right? They, they, they tasted, they experienced, they participated in it. 
I mean, they knew as they looked in the mirror, and this will be the connection to James, as they looked in the mirror, they knew their natural face. They knew who they had become in Christ. Verse 5, And having tasted the good Word of God, right? the implanted Word, they can't get away from it. These are your red letters. Have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of of the age to come. What does verse 6 say? If they fall away. It's, impossible. it's possible for these men that walk with Jesus and did these great things to fall away. And that's what he's addressing there. Therefore, you know, cast aside all filthiness and, and, and wickedness. Whose fault is it that they're falling away? Especially after they walked with Jesus and did all these great things. Whose fault is it? Their own. They're making decisions. They're hardening their own hearts. Right? And that's what dead faith looks like. They're, they're going back to this Judaism. They're going back to the way it was. They're going back to, to the legalism and the complacency. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put to an open shame. Now we're always very, very careful with this. Because what's impossible for man isn't impossible for God. But I do want us to recognize that these people with dead faith is because they're hardening their own hearts. Right? Those that walk away from faith, it's not God doing it. It's them hardening their own hearts, choosing disobedience verse 7 explains what follows right for these apostles and ambassadors um, that were given these gifts and spent time with Jesus for the earth with drinks in rain that often comes up upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated those walking in obedience those looking in the mirror and continuing in the word they receive blessings from God that's that life with God, that fellowship with God now, and, and looking forward to the kingdom and the inheritance and the blessings. But if it bears thorns and briars, right? if, you fi if, if they find themselves turning right, from the word, turning and being a forgetful hearer, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. This section is talking to believers. You don't read about heaven or hell in this section. It's talking about God removing. Right? Removing you from the ministry. Removing you from the, the, the serving by. Removing you. Disqualifying you. And, and you find yourself in that dry, withered, barren, spiritual wasteland. And I know a lot of people, they're in that place. What does a deceived apostle and ambassador look like? What does a deceived Christian look like as they follow them? We keep reading. Because guess what? If your leaders are, are, are barren, if your leaders are living in disobedience and not doing, guess what? The people follow. The people make decisions. But beloved, verse 9 of Hebrews 6, beloved, loving term for the body of Christ, those that are in Christ, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany 
salvation, right? Salvation positionally before God, salvation from your sin nature, salvation from the, the circumstances of, of, of where we are in life, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, the fruit, your obedience, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. A believer has to be diligent in, in obedience and following the word. To the full assurance of hope until the end. That you, he's writing to believers, do not become sluggish. I look at my center column, I have a number one there. It says lazy. <laughs> that you do not become lazy. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith, believing God's promises with a resolve to obedience. How, how do you receive that inheritance? How, how do you receive those wages and the reward? Well, you serve now. You have that alive, living faith now. Faith and patience inherit the promises. Where, when do we inherit? judgment seat of Christ for the kingdom of God that's coming that thousand years. It has to be live, right? That's how we do it. Faith and patience and, and those promises are coming. Let's turn back to James and we'll try and wind down a little bit. We know we're not called to a dead faith. Though I think we give ourselves a lot of permission sometimes. Um, verse 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves if the word of God is not leading you commands of Christ are not leading you if this isn't part of your life then you are doing I'm going to say it's not according to what Christ is desiring it's not according to the, the will of the Father for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Right? He knows what he became following Christ. He knows who he's supposed to be. He knows who he has become in Christ. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That's how quick, how quick that spiritual light, I'm going to say, that, that whole spiritual active life where you're excited about serving, the Spirit is moving and you're being used and, and, and the conversations and the ministry experiences and the connections, that's how quick it goes out. You decide no, you decide disobedience, and you walk away from that word. And guess what? It, you immediately forget. And if you remember that way, wayside soil in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, it says Satan enters into the picture and takes the word out. And then you're free to live your life however you want. And we understand the direction that takes. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, we understand. And I keep Christ's commands, the word of God, the red letters. That's why it makes it so important that we're reading through our scriptures Observes himself, pardon me, but he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of 
the work, what Christ has commanded, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do we see that connection? Back and forth, right? The reins and what it will be blessed. Ah. And I think we'll just pause there. Do we see the importance of the living word in our hearts this morning? The importance of the word? Do we see the consequences when it's not leading our lives? Turn with me to Mark chapter 4, and I'll just read that last part of that, just because that's been a powerful, powerful passage in, in my life, well, basically since God put it before me and said, chew on this for a bit. <laughs> Mark chapter 4. It says, be doers of the word. I really don't, don't feel like the word has found its way leading churches today the way it really, really has to. It's almost like a secondary thing. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, and we'll just read the explanation that Jesus gives. And he said to them, Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Jesus spoke for the Father. I mean, every, every red letter in your New Testament should just leap out of the page. And this is Jesus speaking. This is supposed to be leading your life. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside when the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Doesn't take very long. I mean, we could get into resisting the Spirit, restraining the Spirit, not going to church for a month, not knowing when your Bible is. Doesn't take long. And all of a sudden, there is absolutely nothing leading your life. Whose fault is that? The falling away is us hardening our own heart. And Satan helps, obviously. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Doesn't say a week. Doesn't say a year. Doesn't say a decade. Is this a young man thing? Can older people there fall away? Can older people there find themselves spiritually quieted and then eventually into that dead faith practice? Young people, older people, newly married couples, um, very much so. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, not just random, this is for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns, they are the ones who hear the word, and this is what's been eating my lunch. They're the ones that hear the word and the cares of this world. I fall in this category. Cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches. If I had money, I'd probably have this problem. 
and the desire for other things. That's my, I'm in that category too. Entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Nothing leading their lives. All of a sudden you find yourself like even with the proverbial, oh, I know this one or I know that verse. It's choked out. It's not leading your life. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who bear, pardon me, those who hear the word, accept it or receive it and bear fruit. It's alive. It's working. The obedience, the, 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 the <laughs> yeah, accept it, bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. I think that passage continues to speak for itself. James is speaking to, to sluggards, to lazy, lazy leaders, lazy Christians in the churches who are killing the churches. That's a sombering thing. Uh, it was happening back then. 2,000 years later, guess what? We still face the same, same complications of it. But there is good news. The end of James calls on us to encourage, exhort, rebuke if we have to, and rise each other up. And so that means that we can come back if we are in that spiritual dead faith. And uh, all is needed is, is being on our knees and asking God in humility to come back. Right? So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we, we, we praise you for what you're doing. Lord, this is a sensitive topic, but Lord, it, it's meant to pierce and Lord, we all have room to grow. We all have more that we could not just do, but we have more that we can obey in. I thank you for ministries in this church where we don't just do. We pray over them. Lord, we, we fellowship over them. Lord, we, we engage and we allow you to lead in them. Lord, and there's always opportunity for others to join in. Lord, and if it's not ministries in your church, Lord, it's things that you've... You've engaged and prepared, but uh, Lord, it's obedience to you. So I pray for, for those that are in that place of dead faith. And I'm sure there's got to be a couple. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you would awaken them. Lord, I pray that you would explain through your text that there is no such thing as a lazy Christian. And we don't determine that, Lord, you do. And Lord, that there will be an answer one day when we stand before you as to what we did as you led us. And uh, yeah, Lord, I just, just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. And please make a point of joining us tonight.